Are you tired of your content not getting the reach it deserves? Change that at Grow With Video Summit. From May 23rd through the 25th, join industry leaders like Gary Vee, Ali Abdal, Patrick Bet David, Cody Sanchez, and more for strategies that will elevate your visibility and engagement. So go to summit.thinkmedia.com to secure your ticket. Just click the link in the description or go to summit.thinkmedia.com. Don't be scared to change your niche. The most important thing is authenticity. And if you're feeling like you don't want to do this anymore, your audience are going to see and they're going to drop off anyway. I grew from 10 to 100,000 subscribers in one year. And I would 100% put that down to uploading three times a week, every single week for a year. Just do the best you can do, upload it, be consistent. And I do guarantee you brands will find you. Welcome back to the Think Media Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about tips for creating content as a parent. Now, even if you're not a parent, uh, you're going to learn some productivity strategies and lots of nuggets. But our guest, Vanessa Canby, is a mother of three. She's living in Scotland and creating content globally and locally. She's going to be breaking down some tips on how to find your unique style and voice on YouTube, her experience with working with brands. Uh, tips for filming and editing content, and a lot of nuggets that are going to help you reach your goals faster on YouTube. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's kind of surreal talking to you because I literally learn how to be a YouTuber partly through watching your videos. So it's so strange to now be talking to you now. Well, it's an honor to have you on the show. In fact, the way I discovered you was I was looking through subscribers, I think, of Think Media or the Think Media podcast, just kind of curious, uh, you know, what people were up to and reached out. And I'm so grateful, was very fascinated uh, by your story, which I don't know a ton of. And so today you have 172,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. When did you start? And what has kind of been happening since the beginning of launching your YouTube channel? Where were you living and what's happened since then? So I started my YouTube channel in 2017. The reason why it's interesting that you talk about parenting is because I wanted to find something I could do whilst being a present mother at home. So I just had my second child. She was just born and I decided, you know what, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I was literally lying in bed. My pillow was on the head and I thought, let me start it. I ordered a camera then and there. It was the Canon G7X Mark II, I think at the time. And I just literally dove right into looking up how to edit, how to film. And honestly, getting started is just the best thing to learn how to do it as you go along. And so at that time, I started doing vlogs about family life. And then I went to Ghana, which is where my dad's from in West Africa, on a trip for my cousin's wedding. And I thought, you know what, let me just do a video whilst I'm there. And that video did amazingly. It got something like 100,000 views. At the time, my videos were probably getting 1,000 views at a push. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that video quickly got a lot of views. And I realized, hang on a second, people want to see Ghana. And it's my favorite country in the whole entire world. I've been going there ever since I was two years old. You know, the culture is incredible. And often in Western media, you see a very negative perception of Africa and the sort of poor side. And so I wanted to show another side. There's also a lot of African-Americans who are interested in moving back to Africa, you know, where their roots are from. And so I was really showing those people 
what's possible there, how you can live your life. And so basically what ended up happening, because I had two children, I couldn't really at that point. Basically what I did was I would go for two weeks to Ghana and create six months of content. So I would go for two weeks and film every single day. I'd film about, you know, as many videos as I could in a day, taking just the smallest of things. You know, I'd eat in a restaurant, I'd make a whole video out of it. I'd just make as much content as possible in two weeks. And then over six months, I would edit it. And then six months later, I would go back for two weeks and then I would edit it again for the next six months. And honestly, that I found to be the best way to make content because since then, I've done it differently. I then decided to move to Ghana with my family, which was incredible. I took the two kids. They went to school there. It was what I always wanted. I wanted them to experience life there. But trying to live, have your family, create content. My husband started working with me as well. So he was a videographer, the editor. Honestly, it was a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like working with your partner is a lot. I mean, I love my husband so much. But working together was very interesting, especially when we're trying to look after the kids as well. So and then I've just had my third child and we moved back to Scotland to basically have the baby and and things like that. So, yeah, that's kind of the journey that I've been on. Wow, that's amazing. And I want to unpack a couple of things. Take me a little bit back to what was happening in your mind, because you said as soon basically as you got pregnant, you then were like, I want to start a YouTube channel. Yeah. So yeah, what was kind of what lit that fire? Wanting to share the memories, um, wanting to document family, feeling inspired to step out. Like, what was the connection between, um, you know, moving into motherhood and being like, I have to start a YouTube channel, and then having the commitment to be like, I'm ordering a camera now. Like, I'm like that. That moment seems like was. Did you think about it for a while, or what was kind of emotionally happening then? So my daughter was, I think she was about seven or eight months old. And it wasn't actually to do with documenting memories. For me, it was very much a business decision. I I'd previously, I've done so many things in my life. But the first thing that I've done before this was I had a juice company. So I was making cold pressed juices. I was selling them to cafes. I was selling them to um, like at farmers markets and stuff like that. And it was a very labor intensive job. And I decided that I wanted to do something that I could do from home. So that is actually the fact that I was a mother. I wanted to be at home with my children and also work was the reason why it actually wasn't anything to do with documenting memories. And I think that's why it was easy for me to change niches. It wasn't that I was really passionate about being a family vlogger. I knew that I wanted this to be my career and I did want to share a message that would help others. It just it was I just wanted to know what people wanted help with basically. And so that's it was this dream and of working from home, which is so cool about YouTube because it gives us the ability to be with family. And when you started, it was family vlogs, motherhood, but then the niche kind of pivoted mm-hmm. to Ghana, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So actually, when I was doing the family, the family vlogs and that sort of thing, you know, there was certain things that were definitely more like popping than others, like travel, something that I love to do, which now I'm actually, again, changing my niche into being a family travel, global travel, not just Ghana channel. 
and so travel did really well like you know hotel reviews things that people are going to search for um because people when they're going on holiday like myself I will watch so many videos about the place I'm going to go before I go there my husband hates doing that because he's like I don't want to ruin it but for me I know that's what I like to do so I know that other people are going to want to do the same so you know room tours hotel tours about specific destinations locations that did well but I realized obviously people didn't care about my family vlogs because who cares about me when they didn't know anything about me um so you know anyone that's asking for advice I would just say unless you've got a huge family you've got 10 children people love that stuff I love that but you know if you're just kind of normal with a couple kids people don't care unless you've already built your audience that's brilliant and there's a lot of nuggets in there talking about the power of of search-based content the power of travel content also kind of you would you agree you've now kind of gone through three distinct niche changes but they've been somewhat aligned or quite a bit Mm -hmm. aligned and so your audience has grown with you there's kind of been a progression what's kind of your thoughts for someone who is considering Am I in the right niche or not? Or that's thinking about pivoting their niche. So changing niche is a very scary thing. When I went from parenting to Ghana, I had a few thousand subscribers. And at that time, that felt like a lot of subscribers. You know, I felt like, oh my gosh, what if I change to Ghana and all those subscribers stop following me? You know, what if they don't care about me anymore? But actually what I've learned is you change and you gain so many more subscribers and those people, if they're still interested in you, they'll keep watching. But if, they, if they're not interested, it doesn't matter because you're gaining a whole new audience. And you just never know really how, how big your audience can get. And if you are interesting, people will care and want to follow along. Some of the people that used to follow me back from the parenting vlogs that have nothing to do with Ghana aren't, you know, weren't previously interested. Now know so much about it and like DM me saying, oh, I never knew this. You know, because I guess if it's interesting content, those people will follow along. So I'd, I'd just say don't be scared to change your niche, especially when you feel like whatever you're doing isn't right for you anymore, because the most important thing is authenticity. And if you're feeling like you don't want to do this anymore, your audience are going to see and they're going to drop off anyway. So you may as well change into the niche that you really want to do. And then you did you first off do one Ghana video? Notice that it got mm-hmm. 100,000 views and then yeah. followed, like we like to say, success leaves clues, make part twos. So you were like, you didn't just make oh, a part okay. two. You kind of just were like, let me make over 100 videos or whatever it is about Ghana after you saw the success of a particular place, particular information, your style all resonating. It's like it all aligned and then you doubled down on what's working. Is that kind of how it happened? Yeah, that is exactly what happened. I also realized that there wasn't many people doing quality content about Ghana. And so I saw that there was this huge gap in the market and that I knew that I could fill it in a good way. So I just decided to just go all in and it really, really worked in my favor and also in the favor of like so many people say thank you so much for making this content I didn't know about x y and z so I think people are grateful that I've made that content 
And I'm, I'm also thankful to be able to make it because it's somewhere I love and I love to share it with the world. These are some powerful questions as uh, the listeners can ask is, you know, what kind of search based content could I create? What are people looking for? Like maybe are they looking for room tours, hotel tours? Is there anything search based related to my niche? And then asking what niche or what gap is there in the market that someone isn't creating quality content for yet? Very powerful to think about. Um, maybe there's content, maybe there's some videos out there, but if it's not high effort, if it's not quality, spotting a gap in the market, moving into that gap. Tell me a little bit more now during this season where you're filming in Ghana, kids started to be born and grow up, but were you going by yourself for the two weeks to be really focused and to produce content? Yeah, exactly. So what I realized is when my children are around, like I am very much kind of focused on them more than work. So for me, it's good to take myself out of that sort of environment and just like do two weeks of intense filming. And then that means for the next six months, I can really be present with the kids. I hired a, an editor who could edit the videos. Most of the time, I also edited some of the videos. So I'd normally get the editor to edit the videos up to a certain point. They'd send them to me, and then I'd kind of finish them off. Um, so really, it didn't take... Okay, yeah, apart from two weeks of intense filming, which was very tiring, but, you know, I enjoyed it. Apart from that, for the next six months, didn't really have to do that much. Yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful strategy to consider... Would it be possible to block two weeks on your schedule to do absolutely inf- intense amount of filming that allows you to post content for the six the next six months? And there's probably some object- objections people have. Sometimes people, I think, question like recency. Maybe they feel like if they didn't go to the mm. restaurant yesterday and the video doesn't come out tomorrow, then it's too late to publish. <laughs> but what did you find with the fact of dripping two weeks of filming over six months like time so people didn't people didn't know you know it wasn't like i was writing in the caption this was four months ago you know people really and i I also wasn't lying so like on my instagram is more my up-to-date day-to-day situation you know i'm in scotland and so if you're really following me across the platforms you're going to know that i'm back in scotland but if you're not you're probably just going to think that i'm still in ghana and a lot of these things aren't time sensitive So, you know, going to a hotel that's not shutting down, it doesn't really matter if it was this month or two months ago. Or, you know, interviewing somebody about their the largest pineapple farm in Ghana, that's not going to change over the next couple of months. So honestly, it's not as important unless you're doing something like New Year's Eve or, you know, something that's very time specific. It doesn't matter. And I'd say now because I don't do that anymore and I've not done it in a long time. I can also get caught up in, oh no, that's old. Like that footage, that footage is old. Like, should I really post it? Uh, What I've learned is it doesn't matter. That's a really powerful insight. There's a lot of creators listening to this that are sitting on content, probably on their hard drive, that maybe they thought was irrelevant, but is still very much postable. And for the viewer, they're experiencing it in real time. The actual time is the time mm-hmm. they start to watch it. Unless, of course, it's an actually a timely event. But there's so much more evergreen or at least longer shelf life type of content. And one of the things I noticed on your channel was some of your videos, it seemed like almost feel like HGTV level. Like 
welcome. You're standing outside like somebody else was helping film. Did that happen a few times? Like, how did you pull those ones off? No, like as in, <laughs> that's just, I think I, so I was actually part of the YouTube Black Creator class of 2021, okay. which meant uh, YouTube Black basically chose a hundred creators a year for, I think it was three years. I think they've, I don't know if they've finished it yet, but they're still going. They decided to, during the era of George Floyd, dedicate, I think it was like a hundred million dollars to black creators. And so we got seed funding and we got training and a lot of great stuff from YouTube. Like, honestly, I love YouTube. I feel like they really support their creators. And with that money, I literally just spent it on gear. So I spent a lot of money on just really expensive equipment. And I think, you know, other people spent their money in different ways. But for me, it was so important to get that really high quality footage, audio, and all the rest of it, because I feel like that's one of the most important things, like what you're saying is like, it's almost like HGTV. I mean, it was my husband who learned, <laughs> you know, had no experience of it behind the camera. We just really learned, we bought, we bought TV, audio equipment and like the mics and everything is what they use on, on TV. And we just went all the way with it. Do you know what I mean? I just don't do things in half. So I feel like if you're going to do it, you may as well do it properly. Yeah, that's, that's wild. So sometimes... There was a few times he did travel with you and helped film and then also times he helped so, edit. So that was when we moved. So so initially I would go two weeks film and then after like a year and a half of doing that, we decided to move to Ghana. And that's when he actually left his job. He had a really high flying job because I was I was making really good money. Like he left his job and came and worked with me. Um and we went and did that together. Gotcha. And so then eventually when you were doing so previous to moving there, um, when you would film for two weeks and then have six months of content, sometimes you would sit home, uh, sit back at home, spend time with the kids, edit a video when you needed to. What editing software did you use? I use Final Cut Pro. And then you, you mentioned you also found an editor. Did you find somebody online that mm -hmm. you would delegate to? No, that was someone in got. So that was someone in Ghana that I worked with. I think for me, it was quite important to work with local people in Ghana as well mm -hmm. and not just work with random people online. I love that. So you found a, a local person, but then you were working remote with them. Yeah. So, I mean, that did have its challenges in terms of internet upload speed. Internet upload but because Yeah. But because it's the same time zone, uh, that was good. And because we weren't like, really time pressured because we were dealing with so many videos mm -hmm. it didn't matter so much about the, the upload speeds because by the time that's come to me i could kind of just finish editing it hey in just a second we're going to get back into the episode but if you haven't heard for a limited time you can get on-demand access to my youtube strategy class entirely for free at thinkmasterclass.com. On the class, you're gonna learn the one strategy that we use at Think Media that is currently generating over 300,000 views every single day. If you are new to YouTube, this is gonna help you start right and avoid mistakes. And if you're already a pro, this is gonna help you multiply your growth. And the cool thing is the class is 100% free and you can watch it instantly on demand. All you gotta do is go to thinkmasterclass.com or just click the link in the show notes to get instant access. All right, let's jump back into the episode. What would you attribute like to somebody that has an aspiration to get a silver play button, a hundred thousand subscribers plus, 
when you look back over things that triggered growth, you may have already mentioned a few, but if you listed it out, like I feel like these three things, five things all kind of contributed to a collection of ingredients that ended up producing the growth your channels experience uh, experienced. What are those elements? So I grew from 10 to 100,000 subscribers in one year. And I would 100% put that down to uploading three times a week, every single week mm. for a year, no breaks and creating quality content. So, you know, crisp footage, great audio, and also leaning into a niche fully, you know, choosing one niche, sticking to it, and looking for what that audience wants and making searchable content. I used to try and put three different titles in the title. Say break that if down. That makes you, sense. you used to So so let's say so let's say um let me try and think of a, an example. Okay, so let's say I was doing a hotel tour in in Ghana. So I would I would maybe write hotel tour Ghana and then there would be like a dash and then it would say the hotel and then there would be a dash and then it would be like places to stay in Ghana. So I would make sure that depending on what you're searching, it's going to come up. Yes. That's uh, for searchable content. That is a super power tip to, to stack efficiently inside of the title, the different specific angles that someone's searching might be searching for. So 10,000 to 100,000 subscribers in a year, uploading three days a week, no breaks, three videos a week no breaks, quality content, leaning into a niche fully, searchable, really figuring out what the audience wants. That is a wild run. Um, did you find after that that you needed a break? And did you slow down a little bit after that year? And what have you learned about taking breaks and periods of rest as a content creator? So I've not uploaded in the last year because I had a baby and I, like when I was pregnant, I was feeling sick and then I had the baby and then it was just too much. And what I've realized, because now I've done a year of it, is your videos are still up. You can still make passive income for a very long time mm -hmm. without creating content, but it does end up tethering off. I'd say for the first eight to nine months, personally, I was making, you know, a good full-time income. Um, but then it does start to like tether off. And so I think you can take breaks, definitely, but you're just not going to keep consistently making the same amount of money. Yeah. You know, and, and what I've done, actually, because YouTube it takes a lot of energy because I want to do it properly. I don't want to just like upload a video today, which I could do, and then take, you know, two months break and then upload. When I upload, I want to make sure I'm uploading consistently so that my audience doesn't just think, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> I went over to Instagram and TikTok and decided, you know, this is kind of what I can manage at the moment, making short form, which, yeah, I definitely should be uploading to YouTube shorts if anyone from YouTube is watching. <laughs> but <laughs> I've been uploading on, you know, Instagram reels, TikTok, and I kind of decided to take that a bit more seriously. So I uploaded every day for um, 30 days on Instagram because I've never taken Instagram seriously I just wanted to see what would happen <laughs> and it was actually very interesting like I got a lot of high view videos and one of them would take it back to a point of old footage I used a video from about four years ago made it into a five second reel just roll over the top and um, 
share this to somebody you want to go to Ghana with. 500,000 views. Wow. You know, it probably took me about two minutes to make the video. Obviously, I found trending trending music. I just saw what was what was going through the reels. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you go on reels, you see what's coming again and again and again, and you can just take that and apply it to your niche. And in and I'd say short form content is just takes much less energy. And there's times in your life when you don't have the energy to be making long form content. And that's encouraging, I think, to look at the span of of like six years since 2017 of times of intense hustle, times of intense travel for two weeks and then edit for six months, moving there. Like it really speaks to different seasons that we can go through as a content creator. And then it's also Mm -hmm. encouraging to think about the momentum you build on YouTube really can pay you passively. Like you mentioned, it tapers off. But when you said you had about eight to nine months of full-time income, even though you stopped uploading, was that just from YouTube? Yeah, then I wasn't doing any, I wasn't doing anything. Like I literally wasn't uploading. I was just, you know, being pregnant, having a baby. Which is amazing. That's a huge amount of time to have that sustain. And was that just from YouTube ad revenue? Yeah, just the, the ad sense. Yeah, that's really cool. And And then obviously the power of short form, and I would totally agree, short form does take less energy. And so doing something that's manageable, of course, a big opportunity that if you are creating short form on Instagram and TikTok, that you could also put it on shorts or multi-purpose it around different platforms. And I think that um, the amount of opportunity for any creator who has years of footage to turn in previous footage, even from their phone too, into current vertical video is off the charts. I think probably what would hold most people back, including myself, as I think through it, is finding the footage, having time to review it, and being organized enough to find it. Have you stayed very organized? Mm -hmm. Or how did you... Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely not. I'm even trying to think how I... So that video was on my phone. So I, I literally just scrolled all that, all the footage that I've used on Instagram has been footage that I've filmed on my phone. Yeah. And it's really taught me now to film a lot on my phone. You know, like as much as I'm filming on my proper camera to film everything vertical, because there's still not a good camera that can film vertical and horizontal. You know what I mean? That can film both ways. And it just delivers it to you in two different files, which is what I'm looking for. Anyone out there that makes cameras. Yeah. You know, what's also kind of crazy is obviously not everybody has the newest phone, but phones are also, they're already so great. But what's really wild to me was Apple just had a recent event where they were talking about the new M3 MacBook laptop and the event started the CEO, Tim Cook, comes out with smoke and mist and they do all their announcements and it just, it looks beautiful. Everything like that Apple does is all premiumly shot. And then after the credits of the event, the event was over, the end of the video said this entire event was shot on an iPhone 15. And previously they used Ari Alexa cameras, which were $100,000 cameras to film their Apple events. But now this most recent one, um, was shot entirely on an iPhone, revealing that iPhones can make their way now onto the sets of Netflix shows and Hulu shows and proper films. So naturally, that's the latest and greatest phone, but it 
that's a that's wild and and it speaks to maybe also mm-hmm. how expensive an iphone could be but a lot cheaper than a hundred thousand dollars for an re alexa um <laughs> yeah. and what it actually can pull off with the ProRes and everything so that is a, one personal thing that i'm doing as well and you're inspiring me is i'm using my phone to capture a lot especially if i'm traveling and especially if you don't post even if you don't post it but if i'm traveling mm-hmm. there's footage you could use later to story tell uh, moments and memories and uh that's really inspiring to tap to up our vertical video game for everybody that's listening and i and i also actually like i used to only i was kind of like a quality snob like i would only ever use my camera to film but then i went to um i've traveled to some places that some people might say are dangerous but i had no problem in these places and you know my dad was like do not bring your camera there and so i was like okay fine i'll just take my phone and i filmed the videos on my phone not one person complained about the quality Mm. and they got like hundreds of thousands of views i also went on another trip with my friends like my girlfriends and filmed all on my phone just because i didn't want it to be you know a real content trip and that video i think it's got like three hundred fifty thousand views and again nobody uh, like um, complained about the quality and I think what I realized is it's more me that cares about the quality mm. than a lot of the viewers because people are watching videos on their phone I mean I watch YouTube videos on my phone yes and what do you remember what phone that was and what were you doing for audio when you didn't bring your proper camera I just it was just the the YouTube uh, the the phone's audio like I didn't add any specific thing I literally just used my phone. gotcha and yeah what phone was it at the time so um probably a 13 iphone 13 or an iphone before that would have maybe been 10 yeah. x yep amazing that's a case in point and and at the end of the day sometimes there is a discrepancy between how many views we can get and the quality of the production uh, ultimately the content value is definitely more important than the production value um if the viewer is you know pumped or gets information they want or connects with you that's all. That's really what counts. Um, but I think there's also some power to, uh, and, and a strong point you make related to pursuing high quality footage, high quality audio, because that speaks as well. I'm curious, what has been your experience working with YouTube a little bit? Unpack that. And you have collaborated with YouTube. You were part of that. Did you also work with Google in some way? I know Google owns YouTube, but what are some of the things that maybe you've learned and experienced with Google and YouTube? So I've worked with them quite a few times. Um, So I've worked with Google during the lockdown. I made this film. They commissioned me to make a short film. I think it was one minute and I had complete creative control. Uh, They basically just gave me a poem and wanted me to relay it in in there and for them for, I can't remember where they were putting it, but it was on a website, like on Google's, website somewhere I think it was maybe a blog or something like that I'm working with the oh so that was one time I've also worked with them um in terms of like sharing my story that they were going to share uh they've also put me in British Vogue which was amazing and honestly working with YouTube and Google I've worked with so many companies over the years that they are definitely one of the best companies. They actually also flew me to Ghana last year to go to the Global Citizen Festival. You know, I just feel like every time I work with them, first of all, it's it's always, again, like high quality 
events if I've ever been to one of their events they take them so seriously you know the food's excellent the goodie bags are excellent they just really take a lot of time and effort obviously there's they have teams that are working on these things and um, but working with them has been great you know and they pay really well and they just really value people i think that's amazing to hear about some of those experiences and you mentioned you've worked with lots of different brands what has been your experience with doing brands and sponsorships and what are your tips for the creator that would say i would love to get started but i don't really know where to start with like brand deals so what i would say is for me personally a lot of them have just come into the inbox and um, so they've just emailed me and i'd say that is down to just creating good content good quality content that people can find like right now you know i'm talking to you sean and you know it's just and without me creating that content, this would have never happened. You're not just going to find me by me sitting in my bedroom thinking about uh, hitting up brands or working with brands. You have to just go ahead and make the content that you think brands would like to start off with. And um, so you just do the best you can do, upload it, be consistent. And I do guarantee you brands will find you. Apart from that, if brands aren't finding you and you honestly think that your content is worthy of brands, then I would say reach out to them. I've reached out to some huge brands that have worked with me. Honestly, some of the world's leading brands, even recently, that I've said to myself, I'm not going to reach out to them because why would they want to work with me? And then I, I just pluck up the courage and do it and they actually respond and, and want to work with me. So I think that... A lot of people will be thinking the same thing that these brands don't want to work with me. And so a lot of people aren't reaching out to them. So actually, if you do reach out to them, if you find the right people, you know, search on LinkedIn for the right PR person and get their actual email address. Don't just email, you know, info at google.com. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, find the right person, get to them, tell them what they want to know if there's an area that you can tell if let's say they've launched a new product they've launched a new service say that you want to show that off in this way you know you have to know about the brand show that you care and these people have marketing budgets they do actually want to push their products and their services so if you can show them that you're going to do that they're going they're going to work with you so much inspiring advice there especially about having the courage to um, reach out and don't allow your self-talk to hold you back. If you are making serious content and you're being consistent and you're uploading it, how would they know if you don't ask? I'm curious, you just slide into their DMs. Did you try to look up the marketing director and send them an email? Um, what, what was your way of reaching out to some of the ones that you reached out to? So some brands have specific influencer pages these days. And, um, and so if you start looking into the brands you want to work with and you see they've got an influencer page, an influencer form, I would fill that out. If they don't have that, they might have a press room that you can contact directly. I've actually emailed a company and CC'd in three different people. Two people have said no and one person said yes. <laughs> so it just shows you, you know, you just have to get to the right person. Because some people might see you and think, mm, no, but then you get to the right person and they're like, wow, this is amazing. Did you, you know? did you, and um, yeah, did you BCC? So they didn't see their, their yeah. so like, so you just sent the one email, blind carbon copy, BCC, three different people that work there, two replied and said, no, we're not <laughs> yeah. interested. And one said yes. And then you yeah. got the deal. 
Yeah, no, exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> and what I wonder is how does that work out when the other people see it? And sure. they're like, hang on a second. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, all the, the takeaway too is like just having the courage to go for it, reach out multiple times, make great content, keep moving forward, you know, and have kind of that mentality of I'm, I'll keep asking or be creative in how I ask. Mm-hmm. I'm curious from your point of view, living in Scotland right now, all this time in Ghana, you've traveled the world. Um, it's easy. And sometimes I think Americans can have an irrelevant stereotype that the world has that sometimes we're ignorant or we don't really kind of know what's happening in the world. Cause a lot of times we don't like, we sort of, you know, have just a mindset. We know what's happening in our world and we know what's happening in, you know, North America. I'm just kind of curious what maybe misconceptions you've noticed or what you think content creators in the U S should know about creating content internationally take this question anywhere you want. I'm just curious, like what should, what do you wish us creators would know? Is there opportunities around the world? Is there ignorance that we should be more aware of mm-hmm. from your, just so having I a perspective think, from where you are? Mm-hmm. So I think these days there is more people going to different places around the world and showing the reality of what's going on there and previous to these times of us creating content, you know, the news could tell you that this is going on somewhere and we would just kind of have to believe it because there's not going to be real people on the ground sharing the true message. And so we're in such an incredible time that we can actually share our own voices on a free to upload platform to millions of people. And so I think it's so important to really share your own truth and your own story wherever that may be and if you do want to travel you know like I think it's great to go to places that aren't highly um uploaded so there is some places that you know everyone's seen there and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that you can also do that but I think it's also nice to see places that, that people haven't seen before as much um and show that side of things but I also honestly think like even taking it back to your own house, there'll be things that you've searched before that haven't come up. To this day, I search things on YouTube and there isn't videos for them. So it shows me that I could literally search that thing, there's no video, decide, okay, I'm just going to make that video, upload it, and it could do amazing because just nobody else has done it. So I just think it's just really important to just share. Yeah, and I love I love you sharing that. I, I feel the same way. It's shocking that in a like a 2024 world, that we could go to YouTube and not find something, but that speaks to the massive opportunity for everybody listening that if you, there's still, not only is there still topics from the past or products or locations or hotels or restaurants or countries, um, but there's also new things happening all the time. So this whole opportunity of getting discovered um, is a lot more real than people realize once you develop kind of like the YouTube eyesight to be able to perceive, discover, and then create videos to answer specific questions and tapping into the power of search-based content. I want to do a segment as we land the plane called Repeat After Me. So I'll say the beginning of a sentence. You just kind of finish the sentence. And uh, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So if I was starting YouTube from scratch today, the first thing I would do is... If I was starting a YouTube channel from scratch today, 
I would upload three times a week consistently for an entire year. The number one piece of advice I have for new content creators is? The number one piece of advice I have for new content creators is to buy quality content, or if it's just your phone, make sure it's well lit. One of the best ways to improve your videos is? One of the best ways to improve your videos is to have good lighting and also make sure that you have good audio. Whenever I have felt tired or like quitting YouTube, this is what I've done. Whenever I felt tired or quitting YouTube, this is what I've done. I've taken a break. Smart. It's good advice. Um, (laughs) Tired eyes rarely see a bright future and uh, taking a nap is sometimes the most strategic thing you could ever do. Um, You've added so much value, Vanessa, on this podcast. I really want to acknowledge you for just the light you're spreading in the world and the joy that comes through in your voice. And for those that are on the video version of the podcast, uh, it's been a huge blessing having you. For people that want to check out what you're doing across social media, where can they connect with you and what's coming up next? So that's Vanessa Canby and it's K-A-N-B-I. And what's coming up next for me, I actually just filmed a TV show over the past four months. That's going to be coming out in 2024, which I'm really excited about. And hopefully I'll do some more TV projects and I'll be back on YouTube. Yes. Thank you, Vanessa. Appreciate you.